0: Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. Joining Luke and I on this episode is Ian Laking. Ian is a New Zealand author who currently lives in Australia. He writes steampunk fantasy stories for young adults, including the Inspector Ambrose Mystery series. Ian draws inspiration from what he listens to, as well as to what he reads. His literary influences include C.S. Lewis and John Le Carré, with further inspiration coming from bands such as Coldplay, Falling Up, and Owl City. He is currently working on a new Inspector Ambrose mystery as well as his debut novel series. On this episode, in the media section, we chat about the BBC show Wallander, Jurassic Park, the movie and book, as well as Better Call Saul and some small updates on the Game of Thrones TV show. In the topic section, we chat about writing a series, and the planning and such that goes into it, as well as talking about examples such as Lord of the Rings and Narnia. As always, you can contact me with your questions or your comments on my email address, mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello, and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. My name is Joel Martin, and today we're at the Brunswick Street Bookstore. Luke, how are you going? What have you been up to? Well, I'm back, anyways. You're Back, I didn't say it this. I know it's on, it's on, it's not
1: on a really an ongoing joke anymore. Yeah, we it's not. It, didn't we? we've stopped. I keep turning up, it's a problem. It's a bit, I'll not turn now. Up next time. That's yeah, you there. gotta just abandon
0: me, abandon you next yep. time, I'll and then it. the joke goes again, <laughs> refreshes. <laughs> yep, it refreshes the color. Do next time, yep. then it wouldn't be a joke anymore. Would it? No, it would just be reality. Like, <laughs> dang it. So, okay. what's going on?
2: Um,
1: i well, I uh, let's see, I've completed one, two, three, four. Five six books in the last few weeks. Okay, read not written. That'd be nice. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: so uh, some of those I started during mm-hmm. those those weeks, and I've finished them, and I'm kind of like milling through books. Like did no you tomorrow. read
0: the, the one that you mentioned, which I did want to come back to you mm-hmm. and ask? Is did you read? uh H.P. Lovecraft's uh at the moment. Uh, of I haven't started on that yet cause I, as I said I have all, like, six books I really books want to I just talk finish, to you about so. this book cuz I just want to see your reaction <laughs> to it. I'm getting there. I'm yeah. still getting
2: there. Yeah. Um yeah, so, so
0: what so do you have do you have a list of books that you finished for us? Do you have the titles? I do. Yes. I even have the authors. Oh, This really rare. Fancy. For me. All right. go. For so
1: it. I finished American Gods by Neil, Neil Gaiman. Yep. I finished uh, I've finished several issues of Sandman mm-hmm. which I hadn't previously read. Yep. Um Jurassic Park I reread. I wouldn't say it's read because I've read it before, but mm-hmm. um I've always been kind of fascinated by the idea that he actually started out by writing a an idea for a for a play. Yeah. Well not a play, sorry, a script. Yeah. And then it turned into a book, which was actually better than the movie, even though he designed it for a movie. Yeah. Um uh, Dog's Heart by Bulgakov. Um, David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more that I'm in the middle of. I'm about to start uh, The Swallow Tower by Andrei Sapkowski as well. Oh, so, ah, yes. So yep. it's a giant bookshelf, which I've never had in my life before. I'm used to reading like one book at a time. One book at a time. Like seriously, I've ne- and I even stopped reading for like three, four years, and
0: now it's just... Every single book in the bookshelf well, is... stop reading uh, in in a great amount. You're still reading, I
1: uh, No, I wasn't reading for quite Don't a long time. Don't say that time. on a literary <laughs> podcast. Look, I'm trying you to gotta, save you You've got to tell these poor emerging writers yeah, the truth. It does
0: happen. Yeah. You can stop Don't. reading for two, Luke, three years at a time. No, Luke's a bad Joel influence. Joel never Don't stops listen. reading, but me... We'll just <laughs> edit this bit out. You'll never know what happened. It's okay. Um, so thumbs up, thumbs down for the books.
1: Thumbs from- up. Thumbs up for, for pretty much all of them. Cool. I don't think I've I've read a bad book yet. No, I started on a couple that I sort of gave up on and I can't remember exactly what they're called anymore, mm-hmm. that was uh, I should I should have them on top of my head. Obviously forgettable. Uh one was by Bernard Bernard Cornwall. Oh, I'm just on, aver- I'm just I'm good. still getting there. I'm thinking I'll push through, but mm-hmm. it's it's a bit on the Which one? It's okay. It's uh Is The it Winter the gr- King.
0: Oh, okay. Yes,
1: it's okay. I'm just mm-hmm. finding it a
0: little bit. You better weird. like that at the end of this. So we're gonna have words. <laughs> he's a good writer, man.
1: I know he's a good writer. I'm just not sure how interested I am. He does by have the a couple story of misses, yet.
0: Though. Yeah. But um, fantastic. Yeah. All also right.
1: writing some new stories. Um, I, I've got an interesting one that's that's been in my head for a little while, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reveal what it is yet. It's not sci-fi one. It's um, it's something based on Earth, which is really weird for me. I never do that kind of stuff. Yeah, but um, based in modern Earth, Mm -hmm. it's not like historical, which is weirder. I know it's not me, is it? Yeah, I should not be reading Neil Gaiman. It does this kind of thing (laughs) to me.
0: (laughs) It expands your borders. That's good. But yeah, busy week. All right. Well, our guest for today is Ian Laking. Ian, how have you been? How was your week? Good, good, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing
3: well. It's great being with you here in the bookstore. It really uh, adds a great sense of atmosphere to the certainly podcast. does, yeah. Yep. But uh, I'm, I'm doing well. I tell you what, I've been uh, rereading Lord of the Rings. Oh wow! I know, it's, it sounds a little cliche to say that, but I mean, it's been a long time since I've done it, uh-huh. um, and uh, yeah, it's been interesting. And last night I was, it was about midnight. Uh, you know that feeling you're trying to stay awake because you know there's a good bit coming. I so, saw the tweet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're about to go to Moria, <laughs> and I've, I'm. Just to wait, and then bang, my Kindle falls on my face. I'm like, okay, oh, I'm gonna go to sleep. I really wanted to read the next couple of chapters, but I- I'm done, so yeah. I'm gonna
0: do that later on tonight. There you go. It always
1: is that cold shock when it touches your yeah. face in the middle of the night. You're like, like
0: okay, oh. I'm asleep. Oh. All yeah. right, it's only ever happened to me once. I was reading this really heavy book, it was big. Oh, and I was, I was, had it right <laughs> up against my face, and then the moment where the book like falls, yeah, cartoon style on your face, and you just <laughs> and you wake up and you're like,
2: Oh, uh, that's that, the only time it's ever happened You can't breathe anymore. Yeah.
0: yeah, That's it. You smell the binding. The dust just goes... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it I wasn't ac- a tome, Luke. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, when I, when I first read The Lord of the Rings, my, mm. my mom had a second edition hardcover from the 60s. It's beautiful. Wow. So a real experience. Yep. And I always feel that uh, if my kids were ever going to read... Um, the Lord of the Rings. I want them to read it in that yep. way because I feel like it's there's something about it and having the massive, a great sense of character, a massive map at the back of the mm. book, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so, you know, it's a it's great series, and it's been really interesting to to read um, again in the light of actually reading since I started writing myself has been yeah. really enlightening. So, when was the last time you read Lord of the Rings? Oh well, I, I hadn't attempted it about five years ago, I think. Okay, it's probably been a good ten years at least since. What
0: I What do you think is like the big? the main things that you d- notice not so much about the story but like about the writing or like something like that i don't know look it's one Did of those things
3: it's one of those things that once you, you see it you can't unsee it mm. so if you don't want to have the lord of the rings ruined i recommend just skipping forward a little bit yeah. now but he uses the word suddenly so much mm. like all the time, <laughs> all the time. you realize it suddenly so i find it quite funny because if he'd sent that in, I swear, to a modern editor, they'd probably be sending it back saying, look, a little less suddenly yeah. would be okay. And I noticed it, and it kind of jars me each time I read it. Uh, and that that has been bugging me mm. while reading. But in general, what I love as well is the fact that when he writes uh, anything that's violent, he doesn't really, he's not very violent in what he writes, but he does enough. So it's very minimalist in that sense. Yes. He does enough. I think last night I read, you know, Legolas, his, his bow Sang, and uh, Gimli's Axe, you know, it flew through the air and you just note that little bit, but he explains it well enough that you kind of fill in the gaps yourself. Yeah. Personally I'm a little more brutal when I write mm, yeah. anything violent, but uh, you know, I I, I admire that. I really do. Yeah. And the fact that it's easy to forget how much he created, which wasn't mm, created before. And that's, that's right. the real genius oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. in the work. He it's, almost
0: created a different kind of fantasy. Well he did. He did. Um, yeah, that, well
1: he's yeah, he spawned it anyways. Yeah. And then for, for years yeah. to come. So many writers have their ticks though. Yep. You, they really you, you do. Can't, I can't get over "Blood and Ashes" from um, the Wheel of Time series. That's the mm. only. That's the phrase that you hear every what, single like, page. "Blood and Ashes." Oh it's my that's how they oh, that's swear. Like an how swear. Um, You're right. You never <laughs> stop saying this. "Blood and Ashes." There's eighteen books of this. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. 18, how many is it? 13, uh, 40 13, 40 15, 40 15. 13 books yeah. of this. I. Blood and Ashes.
2: <laughs> I
3: got into. One, I did the first book, and I read about maybe three or four pages of the second I'm like, nope, I'm out. I, I loved it. I did enjoy it, but I just, I wasn't willing to commit for another 12 bucks. I read the You're first okay
1: three Because three books in, you realize they're all exactly the same.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's the name, Luke. The Wheel, wheel of, of Time. The book. Yes. <laughs> wheel of time. It's the same story. The no, I, I should finish the, you know, wheel of time but uh the whole series i would at no, least just finish
1: but one or yeah. two books yeah do, do the first one because
3: yeah. the first one it starts off and he i think he said that he really wanted to start in a familiar place yeah and it, it branches out a bit more and there's some wonderful stuff in there especially yeah there's, there's some really wonderful moments which i've really stuck with me um where i got quite captivated so i i do appreciate it for what it is but yeah
0: there you go
3: i take it that
1: was tom Yes. Tom sticks with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You probably right. didn't get to Tom. No. No. Nah, I didn't good. get to the He first... was actually, It was actually... It's probably the only thing that I thought was really good about the
0: books. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There you go. Interesting. Well, that's what you've been up to, Ian. Uh, what have we been watching? What has Joel been up last to? last me- the question. Me? Mm. Nobody asks what I've been up to, Luke. You <laughs> should just... go with the flow and not ask. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I've been up to, I've been... Um, Watching a lot of surrealist film and trying to research and read a lot of uh, alternative fantasy and just uh, minimalist fantasy um, for research for a book uh, that I'm I'm uh, endeavoring to first draft out. But uh, that's that's a very fun process. It's always the, the, the research time mm. is always the most enjoyable. You have to convince yourself <laughs> that you're working and not just enjoying yourself a bit too much because I love this kind of stuff anyway. And then researching it again and going through it, but also branching out to um books I haven't read like um I'm looking at one now that i'm gonna pick up and and read and that's uh china merville's um i forget the name now um something station um but it's it's a well, it wasn't ice stationing no no it, it's not uh and it it it's just a it's a very odd fantasy book that i that I wanted to pick up because of that style of writing. Um, so yeah, as to what I've been watching, uh, let's go straight into that then, because segues, uh, I've been watching a BBC TV show called Wallander, um, and that's, uh, based on a Swedish TV show that was based on a couple books, um, so it's a crime drama, basically, each episode is a different, um, crime, it's about an hour long, I think, each one, and the the main, uh, character, Wallander, is played by Kenneth Branagh, Sir Kenneth Branagh, and he is very good in this role. I I think, I always get to this point when watching a a European show or like an English TV show, the tone is so remarkably different to an American TV show, remarkably different, in such a good way for me, anyway, because it's, uh, there's there's a sense of, in an American show, and i'm generalizing obviously but you know that's what we do uh, there's a lot of optimism you know the cops get the bad guy the, the 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 crime is solved in a in a good fashion and even though there are consequences the consequences aren't big enough to outweigh the success um, and often the shows are focused on the crime rather than the people investigating the crime and that's a very valid way of doing crime drama you the focus on heavy character development and you know have a sort of iffy um, crime, or you go all in on the Agatha Christie stuff, and then, you know, nobody cares if Hercule Poirot changes as a person. Nobody cares. It's just about the mystery. Um, (laughs) With Wallander, it takes the character approach. You see a person who's um, not hard-boiled, but has seen a lot of stuff uh, in, in, in his career, and that affects him, and, you know, he has a lot of personal problems, and, you know, like I mentioned it's a European show, British, and it doesn't shy away from the messiness of life. Like, you know, it, it takes a toll on him, it takes a toll on his daughter, who is in close. And there's a really fantastic relationship set up between him and his aging father um, that is revealed to have spoilers. We always talk about spoilers <laughs> in the media section, so, you know, you should know by now. But uh, him and his aging father and it's revealed solely that his father has dementia. And it changes the relationship, which has been a very hostile one, to something where, you know, it doesn't sort of matter in the long run when you've got a character facing, you know, the end. Uh, and it is very powerful. i really enjoying myself through the show. Um, it just gets messier and messier as the episodes go out, and um, the, you, you don't really know where he's going as a person um, because he sort of gets deeper and deeper into... Personal issues that are clouding his um, judgment and, and stuff like that. So that's very good. Either of you watched Wallander or heard of it? Nope. No? Well, there you go. But you should. It's good. Anything you've been watching, Luke? Well, I did rewatch Jurassic Park to try and accompany yes. the book. And what mm. did you think? You had some oh, interesting thoughts which you were twi- uh, texting to me about the movie. I was
1: texting. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> you forgot. <laughs> I don't remember this
0: now. Oh man. Um I'm always a
1: little bit confused when I when I watch the movie after especially after reading this book. Because well, I, as I did you mention it, it was already came from a screenplay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I I think I remember most of the points anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but it never appeared to be horror when I first watched it. Mm. And some people say that it's thriller instead of horror, but I think it's a mixture of the two. Mm. Um and after you watch it the first few times, you think, yeah, it is just classic, sort of cheesy, basic, whatever it is that American media likes to put out mm-hmm. for its for its blockbuster people. Yeah. But when you're comparing it to the book, you realize, well, okay, I'm not going to do that sort of cheesy compare to the book. You better not. When you look at how the characters are in the book, you realize how much you care about these characters who are in the film, who don't flesh out as much as they could. Mm but they still show aspects of their character which make th- you want to root for them. Yeah. So, instead of just a cl- classic thriller, I kind of, is there a book, book of Jaws? I don't think so, is there? Mm. Not that I know of. I don't think so, Yeah, no. okay. So, you is don't you really don't sit around there <laughs> thinking, okay, well, this guy sits on a boat for ages in the book and you remember nothing really happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, um yeah, here you, you know all the characters, with you know their backstories, you know everything like that, that the movie doesn't properly investigate. So you still feel this connection to them when you're watching it. Mm. And that's something that you don't get in a lot of films. Yeah. You you get it in some other film, like a few, like even Lord of the Rings or something, you sort of understand the background, but it doesn't really... You don't have to root for them in the same yeah. way because it's not a horror film where everybody's just getting slaughtered everywhere.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jurassic Park, uh, released in 1993, did some fact-checking, was one of, I would say, the first films that really impacted me as, like, a young adult uh, watching it for the first time and being like, man, that was great. Mm. And maybe it was just because, you know, everyone loves dinosaurs at that age. (laughs) But, uh, not even, sorry, like, um, adolescent, uh, below that even. Um, Mm. And, yeah, it, it it was a really... Tight narrative; they get the structure down pat in that movie. Things happen, story beats are perfect. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, scenes that play out exactly as you imagine they would, but they play out in the way that you hope they would, and do it really well. And mm-hmm. I think that's why that is such a good film. Uh, Michael Crichton, the the author of Jurassic Park, also um, worked on the screenplay for Jurassic uh, Jurassic Park, the film. Um, so it's you know it's got his. It's got his style on it. And, Mm. you know, characters are portrayed slightly differently than what they were in the book. But um, and and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the film is aimed towards the family audience. Like it is, I wouldn't say it's like horror, horror, because Mm. there's enough scary things that a kid would, you know, bury his head in his mom's arms or his dad's arms, but not enough that they wouldn't watch the movie. And so I think that's why the film was incredibly successful as well. But um, oh, certainly. that's a blast from the past. Mm-hmm. That's what
3: you've been watching. Ian? Well, uh, recently we've been watching a lot of series. Uh, mm-hmm. So, plays through Bitter Call Saul, second season. Yep. Which has been fantastic. Um, and, of course, with, bra- with bated breath waiting for each uh, Game of Thrones episode yep. to drop, which mm-hmm. has been <laughs> a lot of fun. Yep. Um, but in terms of uh, movies as well, really looking forward to getting to see uh, Hunt for the Wilderpeople, which has come from New Zealand, so yep. looking forward to getting to see that as well. That's making the rounds,
0: isn't it? It's getting a lot of attention.
3: It is. Uh, it's it, The book, I, now I haven't read the book, it was by yeah, Barry Crump, who's a New Zealand legend. And uh, But it's not actually a comedy, the book, but I think with the, the way that they've done the screenplay, you know, there's enough comedy in there that uh, it's it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's got that charm, I think, that, that kind of Kiwi charm. Uh, that it's going to it's going to do well. So looking forward to getting to see that um, in the next few days. Mm. But yeah, there's uh, it's it's been interesting to to go through a couple of series recently and just kind of uh, enjoy the uh, the character building there. And biblical Saul is uh, is outstanding in the way that it kind of uh, develops its characters and uh, especially. I love the fact that it's you know so similar it's set in the same world as uh, breaking Bad, but the way they've done the characters and and developed them over time you really build a lot of empathy for people mm. and that's that's the magic of it is uh, it's not about uh, you know Saul Goodman who's it's not about him being a bad guy it's about learning his past and kind of
0: feeling that empathy for him yeah um that's a show that. I've been wanting to get into. I just haven't. Uh, a bit like Breaking Bad. It's it's a good series, but it just didn't it, it didn't draw me in. Though I did hear that you know as it progressed, it just got mm-hmm. better and better. Yeah. Um. So as happens to be because it's Game of Thrones season, and we inevitably end up talking about it anyway. We might as well get that over and done with. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Game of Thrones. So close your ears if you don't want to hear it, and all etc. etcetera. Et cetera. <laughs> um. So the series is progressing, and uh the audience has had my thoughts on uh, the show and looks and which is uh we 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 tepid we we mm. we're not a, we're not huge fans especially of the later seasons um but tell me your impression Ian where, where do you think the show is at for you
3: yeah well i i i think it does everyone a service if they can read the books it's definitely worth it i mean the books are... um our struggle at times I find it's a very you know it's a really it's a complex narrative some books especially, yeah. Yeah. So, and some parts of it I found a bit dry but mm-hmm. you know having that base of, of knowledge having read the books I'm glad I dived in and did that um, mm-hmm. yeah I'm enjoying it but this this week's episode was was fantastic in terms of um, bringing some some great backstory um, I think that it's at its best when it gets things moving because you know a character being stuck in the same place essentially in, in the case of Arya or someone just mm-hmm. being stuck in the same place you just like it's it's unnecessary and i think yeah. i just want them to come on, just just do it mm. and we'll be fine if everyone's suddenly standing on the wall with dragons flying everywhere and yeah. you know uh walkers all over the place we'd all be fine now yeah you know i don't think we need to wait so yeah it's, it's good to see a little bit of
1: action coming but it's i feel like so much staring into a snowstorm that you can uh, endure <laughs> yeah
3: and just some scenes i'm
0: just sitting there going come on you yeah i get it i get it, drags on a I get it yeah <laughs> yeah um it's interesting to me because I feel that Game of Thrones, especially now in you know when it's diverging from the books, mm. um, I think it's in an interesting place where it's walking a line between George R. R. Martin's style of narrative, which is decidedly a literary fantasy book. It really is, um, and that just that word is meaningless in and of itself. Literary fantasy it just means it's a well written fantasy book, uh, with you know incredibly complex narrative. And that's all I mean by that. But it's 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 bordering on the show anyway. Is trying to marry that with appealing to a, a mass audience, a, a wider audience, mm. and by doing so, it needs to sacrifice certain things such as complexity and uh, nuance for certain things, and try to make characters a little bit more. Um, identifiable as he's the bad guy this is the guy you need to hate for this season you gotta hate him and we'll make him completely unlikable yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a thing that I keep bringing up, up but like uh, the character of Stannis Man, people will probably be sick of me talking about him by now. (laughs) The character of Stannis in the books um, is not either an antagonist or um, someone who is decidedly good. He's just a person in the world doing what he thinks is best. In the show, he's portrayed as an antagonist towards towards the later episodes, and you're meant to not like him. In fact, you're given scenes... It's really, really dark. Yeah, 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 it's it's super dark. It tries to make you absolutely hate him towards the end, because then when... He dies. You feel no empathy for him. You feel no empathy yeah. for his death. You're just like, well, you know, you were kind of a bad guy anyway. Mm. Um, and that's where, for me anyway, my interest level started dropping. Where mm. I saw that happening a bit more yeah. with characters, Ramsay's twenty good men, you know, being the catalyst for that for that giant battle, and mm. Stannis, who is portrayed as the best tactician in the entire, you know, the mm. entirety of Westeros, gets defeated in, I don't know, the worst <laughs> battle in history. Um, yeah, <laughs> and. These kinds of things, you know, really pulled me up. I think until that point, I was believing. I was, I was having doubts, especially with the way they handled Dawn and certain things. But I was thinking, man, mm. they just need to get these key things right, and and that fell back for me. So I, I, I can see where they're going. I hope it picks back up for me. But yeah. It's uh, it's a very middling at the moment.
3: I think you've made a great point. And uh, can we talk about the Hodor thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, go for it. I, I think
0: with that, that
3: was a George R.R. R. Martin, and, you know, Hold the Doors is a George R.R. R. Martin classic. And you think about it, that's the moment I've heard everyone talking about it online, mm-hmm. I've talked with people. Yep. Uh, you know, at work, that's what they're talking about. And what was the thing they talked about? Well, it was something from the books. So it was something that, that yep. had been sewn through the entire narrative and it just hit you out of nowhere and you're like, my goodness, and it brought this whole level of meaning to everything. Yeah. And that, for mm. me, I was, I was the writing behind that, I was like, that's fantastic. Mm. And, and probably one of the best, uh, you know, obviously, you know, he kills a lot of people and yeah. those are great twists, but that was the best twist that I've, I have I think, might be a big call to say it's the biggest, best twist that I've found the whole story. But yeah. I think it's fantastic.
0: It's it's interesting because a lot of the f- good plot threading, yeah. Yeah, the the flashback sequences cuz I'm very um uh I'm not anti flashback. It's just well, I use flashback a lot especially in one of my stories and after using it now I understand the problems behind flashbacks. <laughs> uh is it feels to the audience like, well, we can't really tell the story any other way than expositional dumps? Through visual medium or through written, if you're in a book, and in this way, um, it's a brand story is exposition. It's there to show you what happens, um, without being uh, you know hinted at before or whatever. I w- rather, the hints have been there, but this is just like, and now it's real. <laughs> um, so up till that point, I was still very like, oh, I really don't like the flashbacks. Hmm. When I got to that scene with Hodor and and hmm. that was a good that was a good flashback because it made sense because a flashback is not self-serving for me when it is talking about the story that's happening right now. Right. When that element is being demonstrated in the present and it's flashback in a very interesting fashion, that's where I think it works. Mm. and I think that's why that scene is so good. Mm. But all the others to me, it was like, eh, you know, I would have just preferred you just tell me. Yeah, and yeah, just, you yeah. know, say, say, say what it is. Yeah, Star that's Trek good. holodeck. Yeah. Star Trek holodeck. <laughs> let's do a story set in Sherlock Holmes area, <laughs> yeah, there you go, um, but yeah, I like the whole time loop stuff, and yeah. we'll see we'll see what happens but uh, interesting, I'm sure we'll be talking about this with other guests as well and how the show <laughs> progresses, but uh, there you go. Any other media you all wanna talk about? Or are we good? I think we're done, I think fantastic, we're done with that. um, so let's move on to the topic for the day, and one of the reasons uh while Uh, Why we called Ian on is because, well, I was reading his blogs for a a while now, and one of them mentioned that he was um, nearing the end and finished uh, a series he's been working on for quite some time. Now, we've talked about series and fantasy series before with Luke, and I think it was actually when we were talking with you look just one on one about your your book and Possibly. you know how you planned it out not about up.
1: Series, not as much series. Uh, i not yeah maybe not but a little bit yeah but definitely with however the time yeah. yeah
0: and it and i thought well we haven't really talked about this we haven't talked about it with a guest and that the macro element of putting a series together so Ian, tell us a bit about mm-hmm. what this is then we'll jump in yeah so um,
3: Uh, I actually, the first thing that I ever uh, came up with with my writing was uh, a single character and um, it all started with a song Mm -hmm. and it kind of grew out from there. So it was this song talking about a a robot caught in the middle of a a snowy field Mm -hmm. and it got me to thinking about, oh, imagine if there was an automaton of some sort with a message it had to bring, what's it doing in the snowy field, where does the snow come from? And all this thing developed out from there and I eventually began to think of the story idea. Um, So this was... and after that i kind of digressed and in order to to i created this world called the empire and Mm -hmm. all this stuff about it drew a couple of maps and got to thinking and uh once i'd started doing that i kind of felt like i needed to explore the world a bit more so i um created a character inspector ambrose inside that uh inside the world and living in the capital of treville and Mm -hmm. wrote a few stories to see kind of how the universe played out i suppose which kind of taught me a lot and helped me to explore different concepts and that whole time i had this story percolating in in the background and um so i then once i'd written those stories and explored the idea a bit more i got down to really going through the the plotting of this series and i knew in my mind vaguely that i wanted to have three books um just because it's a you know it's a well-known accepted Mm -hmm. kind of yeah it's a trilogy (laughs) it's an accepted medium um so I, i decided to go for three books and see how it turned out and i had a start point. And an endpoint in mind. Uh, so, and, and the start point really—it's—it's it's about a boy. Uh, he's called Avery, and um, he discovers he's four hundred years old. Mm. It's kind of like how his yeah. world changes from that point. Now he thinks he's about 14, 15, and uh, you know everything kind of changes from that point. It's about how his world kind of crumbles, and uh, and the journey he goes on to to find the answers about his past. Um, mm. So yeah, I had that starting that endpoint figured out. I had some knowledge about the universe that I was writing in, and that's when I started to kind of. Um, pull the plot threads together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: in, a sh- in a series, Luke, let's, let's start with you put, you. put you in the grinder and talk about talk about this. Uh, go, with man. a series, it's... Well, you know, like Ian said, you've got a start point. And generally speaking, sometimes you can have an end point uh, in mind when you start the, the series or the, or the story. And the thing that I, I've been thinking about is how strong has the intent for the story, got to be. Do you need to know how the story will plot? Do you need to know the characters involved? And specifically, how did you do it uh, (laughs) in that? Like, working characters, they age, uh, how they age, um, where they go... Uh, the journey, whether that journey changes in book two, and you're like, well, if it changes in book two, then maybe it should have started somewhere else in book one, and then that would mean in book three, and it becomes, you know, a logistical nightmare to plan. But yeah, what was your experience with that?
1: Um, from my own experience, it's, you always start out thinking about those, those things, the logistics. Mm-hmm. And you, put, well, sorry, not always, but mm. you know, I, I put down all the logistics. I sort of knew where everybody was in my world, and then, and then it got down to the point where I started writing the the Shard Chronicles, and getting through bits and pieces, and thinking, I'm going to write something beside those logistics, you know, mm. just off off here. So they'll exist somewhere. They'll probably never get used in this book, but but they'll exist still and then later on you see some of those logistics change because you realize that the book's gone a different direction so Mm. the story itself can can change a lot of what you've planned and it's i mean it's good to have plans good to have like um a setting and 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 all the different the aspects of your world that you understand but but um it's going to change yeah (laughs) if you're writing a book it's going to change Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) You can't plan it out to the point of perfection where so it's like, if, well, if you it plan it's it out done. until you got
1: all the words there. Then mm-hmm. you'll give up saying, I already know
3: everything. I'm going to start <laughs> something else. <Yeah.
0: laughs> it's done.
3: That's, and that's a good point. Um, and something I didn't know when I started out on the series was uh, how the end would change from the beginning. Um, and I think that I first experienced that when I was planning to have uh, the, the characters run back and forth between a place two times. And I realized that just didn't make sense. Mm. Why would <laughs> they do that? And I was like, okay, uh, that's, and uh, the story, uh, it's it's kind of. Yeah, it was surprising to realize that actually, yeah, stories do—they have a life of their own—and you you can't yeah. force it. And I remember starting to force, it and I was like, "I gotta, I gotta yep. change this," mm. and that's how it ended up. Is um, that framework's got to be set in jelly? It yeah. can't be set in concrete. It's got to be set in jelly. Set in yeah. jelly. That's right.
0: Yeah. The it's interesting because I wrote a series of novellas. Am writing a series of novellas, um, which is one of the few self published projects that I've got going on. And that was um, well, similarly, it's a uh, crime drama. Uh, character-driven uh, within a uh, industrial um, world that's very similar to, you know, England in the 1800s, and it was the the idea of weaving fantasy and uh, gradually in the in the series. Um, but I I ran into the same thing. I started the the series thinking, all right, well I've got this character. He's a soldier. He returns from the war. He's very jaded, and you know he doesn't want anything to do with his uh, aristocratic family that's great, all right, now let's plan out a series of stories for him to be part of in some way that it happens to him and it works. But then a lot of things, you know, started happening. And in the first book, it was exactly what I intended it to be. Straight stock, crime drama, all right, there we go. Second story, all right, same thing. And then third, I was like, well, if if the war happened and the war's still going on, that would mean that Parliament would be making, you know, plans to, like, colonize, which would affect the port. (laughs) And then I realized that... Mm. You can plan out a story but you need to work within the reality of your world. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. your reality can be misconstrued in your mind because you don't think, well, technically that wouldn't be happening. So then in the in the second in the second book that I'm writing, it's it's now focused on a more macro scale of how this world is going and how this character is now being pulled along by the forces that he can't control. So then the story intent is changing. Where now it's no longer about a crime uh, in a place in a small town, it's more about a revolution in a country, and he's involved, and mm. it and it and it, it escalates from there. But that was in the idea that I never knew that I was going to be doing a revolutionary style story mm. at the start. I thought I was going to be doing strict crime drama, and then that changed. But I think I'm glad it changed because if I would have just like nope put my foot down, it's just gonna have to be how I intended it. Mm. I feel like the characters wouldn't develop in an organic manner. who
1: would read forced as well. Yes, well, That's yeah, yeah. what happens if you do something to your book and you feel a bit like, oh, it's not working that way. It's not gonna work for the reader either. Mm.
0: Yeah. And the thing I find within a, in a series, or let's say a TV show, for instance, um, which is the most evident of this kind of thing mm. is when you have a particular formula that works when you have a particular episode that works they'll do the same episode for you know the entire season mm. and the second season they're like let's change it a bit let's make <laughs> him an alcoholic or make him you know some you know something happens to him but let's just keep the story the same anyway yeah. Yeah. you know and then the 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 internal politics of the characters stays the same but the macros don't mm. and because it's a crime show or it's an action show and they got to keep it that way. Mm. And I think that's where the liberty in books tend to lie, where we can ex- express the books and change genres mm. um, within a series. But is there a time when you got to stop? Is there a time when you got to v- say, well, that's not really the story I was in- int- intending to write. rein it back and mm. try and write it.
3: I think some of what happens, and it happened in the third book, was that I had this this uh, the the plot that affected the the main characters. Um, it was actually everything around that that changed. I still very much um, got to the point where I wanted to get to, uh, but in a very different way from what I thought. When I realized how things would need to change, and when I when I I'd finished the second book, and you know the first and the second I had fairly well planned out. The third one was the loosest in terms of where it was going to go, mm-hmm. um, and in terms of the how exactly it was going to work out but it became very clear to me as I thought about what I'd written in the second and how things would would flesh out but there were still the constraints of the universe and those didn't change too much and there were some things that I had to tweak as I went but it it really came together well and I was really happy with the outcome in the end it was I think actually by letting the story breathe it was better than I could have possibly anticipated and um, I, I got my first feedback from a from a a reader in the in the demographic I'm aiming for. Mm. And uh, she was just, she was really happy with how it had worked out. And I was, uh, that made me feel really stoked the fact that, um you know, I'd, I'd let the story tell itself and let it kind of flow, but still stayed true to the core, which I knew needed to be told. And I think yeah. that's yeah. where the, the flesh is where it kind of... The bones of the story may well stay yeah. the same, but that mm. flesh.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's changes. where it changes. Luke, what about you?
1: I actually had a question instead. Go for it. Um, what would you. What would you say if someone said they were going to write a whole series and they didn't want to plan anything, they just wanted to start and go?
3: Yeah, you can do it. Um, It depends on the writer. I think it depends on the writer. And and if someone's going to do that, I would recommend that they uh, try writing a shorter story Mm -hmm. of some sort first uh, to see how that works. Because I discovered for myself, and it's just speaking from my experience, Mm -hmm. um, when I wrote my my second uh, novella, Vanishing Villa, I just had... I had missed a core mechanic. I didn't know how I was going to make it work. And I hit writer's block first and last time I've hit really bad writer's block Mm. because I just could not crack it. Mm. Um, And I'm glad that happened to me then (laughs) and not when I was in the middle of this this massive story. So yeah, I'd recommend telling a story on a small scale and seeing how it goes. And if that doesn't work for you, then adopt more planning.
0: (laughs) Yeah, going off from that question though, um, what is the, where's the decision where it's, I'm gonna write a series instead of writing the first book. See what the reaction to the first book is, see what the audience likes, what they don't like, and then going up from there. Where's mm-hmm. the benefit? Where's the you know?
3: Yeah, uh, that's that's a really great question. Um for me I, I got it out to some some beta readers or almost alpha readers mm-hmm. um with my first book and just kind of saw you know hey what do you think and uh, i got you know fairly positive feedback and i was i was really happy with that i think for me it was a complete story each book is a complete story yep. in itself so having that but there was enough that people wanted to read on um mm-hmm. and it was intentional for me uh i do think there's definitely merit in pausing when you finish a book i and I, i'd say most most authors would agree with me on that one you need to Mm. take that time and i've been in that phase recently uh, of just getting some creative energy back um and in that time that's when you can get that feedback and it can help you to 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 guide what you're thinking um i think being flexible is so important and and being willing to let your story breathe and if you've created characters in a world that's if you're fantasy for example Mm. um you know if you've created a a world that's authentic that's 3d um it's gonna it's gonna work
0: Mm. i think Mm. luke where did you go with your series? Was it planned out from the start? Do you think well, it's going to be a series oh, well, and it's going to be all. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I did
1: plan a series. I mm. did plan like I actually had the books numbered, mm. and I had one, two, three. Was it four? I think four mm. books. But the book I wrote was none of those. <laughs> oh, it was it was going to be something that sort of helped me. Right, yeah. it was going to be like a bit of a timeline. Mm. It was. Off to the side with a different character who never had featured before. Mm. In fact, he wasn't even supposed to be important. But then he became the book instead, yeah. uh, and he took over the series yeah. and became a one-book series. Okay, it's not quite. Uh, I've still got more <laughs> ro- more work in there. Yeah, but, but um, it's so definitely, I enjoyed plotting out the whole world and the places and all mm. the people and and the history and all that. Most of it didn't come in handy. Mm. Yeah. Um. Mm but it was there for, it was there yeah. for me it was yeah, it yeah, was right. it was a piece of information to to draw from and to say look i know roughly why this has happened and where yeah. things are and and that mm. helped me with with writing the book certainly mm. um and it's a lot of fun too yeah it's yeah, like it's yeah, yeah, like it this it's like this idea of research and you know yeah. procrastination <laughs> and stuff like that <laughs> research <So>. <laughs> research <laughs> not procrastination <laughs> research <laughs> convince me please but yeah it's just no it's my, uh, i think it's not only is it fun as it helps you come up with an idea of not just for the story but also how you want the setting to look and
0: feel mm. yeah. the the thing I found um, it, it was a it was a while back I, I wrote a, a series that I, I never really went ahead with with it in the past but I wrote like three books in the series it was there to just test the world and see how it is mm-hmm. hell of a long test but um three novels but uh and in the end I was like well that was a failure but but it did teach me a lot of things about how a, how a series should flow well in that case how a series shouldn't flow um and and what it needs to do i find that the best kinds of books that i've read Always um, operate behind a central mechanic, a central theme that drives the story forward. It might not be the same characters, it might not be the same plot, but the theme remains the same. I find that it can, it can be very unhelpful to a reader's expectation because readers definitely have expectations when they go into a genre book Mm. uh, or any kind of book and they know the genre and they want to read something within it they want something new but at the same time they want to feel comfortable within the genre Mm -hmm. and then if you throw something at them and there's like wildly (laughs) different to the first book in the series Mm. that can either put off people or bring people in Mm. with with your series ian was Mm. it was it a conscious decision to be like well i'm going to keep this with the same characters, with the same story, or am I going to be a bit weird in the middle or, or something like that?
3: Yeah, it was, um, it was really conscious to, to keep the, the characters were important, but I, what, one thing I did do, and I, from my background in marketing, I think, is uh, I've always been big on coming down to the core of an idea and just getting a sentence that sums things yep. up, um, whatever that is. And for mm-hmm. me, it was uh, a boy tries to connect with his father. Yep. Like, and you might not see that when you read the books. Mm-hmm. you know, it, it might be like, huh? But yep. I know that's there. Yep. And so I know I'm telling that story as I go through, mm-hmm. and that's really important. Um, so having that was was good, and the kind of the the key mechanics. But for me, um, I, I wanted to keep things fairly uh, fairly close in, um, in terms of just staying staying true to the original narrative. And so you know the the setting grows more epic as it goes. Yeah. So it it starts off quite small. The whole of the first book is quite small. Yeah. But then it just escalates. It, yeah. It, it escalates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, in a way, what you're doing is you're um you're scaling mm. so you're you're taking people with a comfortable knowledge of this is how the universe works these are the characters you're dealing with and then it kind of scales and mm. you kind of get a sense of what's good and what's evil in this world and yep. then by the turning to the third book you get a sense of well what if there's more outside of the empire what's that got to do with yep. anything and so you you kind of take people on that journey and um you don't want to change things too fast because that can be jarring. Absolutely, yep. I mean, it's when all is not as it seems. That can either be a really wonderful thing, as you mentioned, or a really terrible thing. Mm. Um, and it depends on how well they've written it, I guess. Um, yeah,
0: it's um, with 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 the series that I was writing the the crime uh, fantasy. It was, um, and a friend of mine said, "You got to show the magic pony at the start." and the idea that the mm. fantasy elements have to be right at the right. start of the, uh, mm. so that people don't get. Um, put off, when mm. in episode three, mm. there's magic. Uh, well, not yeah. magic, but uh, some supernatural happenings, and people aren't just like, well, I came for a true crime book yeah. in fantasy land, but this isn't it. Yeah. And I understand that, And but I, it, it just couldn't happen. It couldn't happen in the first book. I could allude to things, and I could plant seeds of, well, is this is this all real, or is this... Mm. And I could do that, but I couldn't overtly show. And I feel that can hurt hurt certain books as well. Hmm. Um, I I cannot remember the series, but I remember um, starting out as a very insular, like you you mentioned, it's it's very hmm. small uh, scope in a town, and I loved the conflicts. I loved. Uh, mm. the interactions with the characters. But the bigger it grew, the more generic it grew, yeah. the more three-act structure it grew. Um, yep. it, it, it became a save-the-world plot from a plot that was save a character's soul, save a character's um, emotional state or something like that. Mm. Um, and and that's, the, that's the other side of fantasy, especially within genre fiction like uh, science fiction or like fantasy. I find that that growth has to still maintain what happened at the start. If it doesn't it, it it really breaks. How did you did you find that in your book or did you just, you know, go ahead and make it big anyway? <laughs>
3: Um, I, I, I alluded to the big stuff mm. in, in the beginning. So there's always a awareness of a sense of place yeah. uh, of, of how this how this is, and I, I kind of introduce the the central recurring theme right up front and then uh, I go from there. So it's giving people, I think, show the magic pony, interesting, interesting idea. Um, I definitely show people a bit about how things are at the beginning, and then they've got a sense that there's more to it than this. And I think that you can always tell that it's going to go... Uh, further than than just that point yeah. uh, and that's that helps people to feel comfortable. but I could totally understand how that could be jarring again mm-hmm. you, and you don't want to you don't want to surprise people because I think the the key thing probably is that no one likes to feel dumb yeah like no one likes to feel like oh. You know, I had no idea that was coming. Should I have had an idea that was coming? Or oh, was that just <laughs> badly written? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that, that you, you don't want people to feel that they uh, that they're they're a fool. Mm. You don't want, you don't want people to feel they're fooled. Yeah. It's not like a, a sleight of hand, you know. Yeah. You want people to feel like, Oh, there were hints there. Oh yeah. yeah. Because for me, and this is the, the thing and I, I think I've may have said this at times, but for me I, I actually start with the twist. Any story I tell, I start with a twist, and I want that twist to be uh, built up the whole time. So, so it's the journey up. of getting to the
0: twist and not just like, aha, I got you yes. a- at the end. Yeah, yeah, I want people to feel like, oh. It's I- the I journey you. that's the important, and yeah. Yeah, that's it. And not the rabbit in the hat. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke, with the Soul Shot Chronicles, when you have Emelian's uh, story, you're following a character who's uh, a scribe pretty mm-hmm. much at the start, mm-hmm. but then he becomes something a lot different. About midway to about, you know, towards the end of it the... It was very close to the end. To it was honest. very close to the end of the book. <laughs> hmm. Why did you think about that? Like, it changed very dramatically. Instead of Emelian worrying about uh, the characters around him and the relationships around him, it was suddenly a lot more macro. It was to do with the world. It, was, it wasn't just to do with them. It was to do with everyone. Did you find that easy to transition into? Did you I allude got to, to it? The stage,
1: yeah, I'd, I'd already gotten to the stage in the writing where I thought, look, he's, he's actually... He he's been writing all these things about himself and and the people around him, but now the situation suddenly turned to. It, it's harder for him to not sorry not harder for him, but it's like now he's attuned to sort of the people around him, and now he's seeing the way that everything else is affecting him and everything. Mm. So he it. To be honest, I felt like it was a natural yeah um, transition for him. Maybe it didn't feel natural for for everyone who's reading it. I don't <laughs> know, but. But it felt natural from where I was
0: writing it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It felt like that's where they should from. It didn't jam me at
1: all. It, it, mm. it, just, it just felt like that was mm-hmm. where he mm. was up to at the time. So,
0: how about examples from series that you have read and problems or things that you picked up, uh, things that you saw that were good or bad?
2: Ooh.
0: That's a bit of a tough one. I threw at you out of random, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that's all right. Um,. Just think about, I mean, I'm
3: currently going back over the Lord of the Rings again. Um, yeah, there's a lot of characters in that. I'm impressed by how Tolkien never makes you feel like it's a drag. I mean, some people may disagree with me. <laughs> but, you know, the, the characters are all distinct enough that it, you kind of can relate to them. Um, and he goes really well in terms of uh, how he keeps Frodo's development kind of mm. going along in the story. And that's really good to see. And there's a lot of um, a lot of good things there. Yeah. Um, it, I think in Game of Thrones, so in mm. uh, A Song of Ice and Fire, um, yes, uh, it's, it's. I think that the problem that could come there is, is expanding too much. So maybe that's putting a little too much flesh on your story. Mm. And, like, I definitely wouldn't knock George R. R. Martin. I think that's a, that would be an incredibly arrogant thing to do. Mm. Uh, wonderful, wonderful writing. Um, but I think the story in itself does show the dangers of, of not um, paring things down. And not really uh, making sure that they, um, they stay quick moving, mm. you know, and, and forsaking some of those details and where the story could go, just leaving that out. I mean, we talked earlier about uh, writing backstory and things like that and, and fleshing out the universe. There's a lot of things that I wrote which I had to write to understand things, uh, mm-hmm. which I won't put into the book. I don't have to tell that part of the story because even though it would be, I'm sure, interesting for someone to know, I knew it would slow down yep. the narrative right. and it might be slightly implied, but it's not going to be in there. Mm. Yeah. So, so I think that's important is knowing what to
0: put in and what to not put in during a series. Mm. It's um, interesting you bring up Lord of the Rings. People always say that both in the books and in the movies, the story should have finished when Frodo um, basically defeats the big bad and the story should end pretty quickly. What do you think? No, oh, I totally disagree with that. Because yeah? in Greek, in Greek uh,
3: plays, if we think about Greek plays, that's not how it, how it rolls. No. We're just talking about a modern idea of a story. Mm. Um, and Tolkien, Tolkien wrote the story, it is what it is. And it's actually kind of wonderful to get that resolution. And for him, he could really, he did whatever he liked. Because he could, and yeah. so he just kind of, he did it, and um, he might have been writing in a different time, and I imagine if, if Tolkien was a self-published author these days, he just would have gone, yeah, you know, he just would have gone for it, you know, and that yeah. would be it, whatever, um, yeah. but I, I actually really like the epilogue, and mm. I feel like that's an important, uh, an important thing to, to have in there, and it's so different from what you normally get with, yeah. uh, you know, it if, is. If it just finished yeah. with Frodo, in Rivendell or something, being like, "Oh, that was a lot of fun." Yeah, yeah,
1: I kind of feel like you'd you'd miss something. Yeah, um, you never get to see the stark contrast or everything that's changed. In
0: no, yeah, that, that that's was heartbreaking. Huge. Yeah, it was yeah. De- definitely something that I think the through. thing. Yeah, I I agree. I, the ending of Lord of the Rings in the books, the was the more, it was very different. Like you mentioned. Um, Ah, uh, Greek plays and Greek tragedies is the denouement. The wind down at the end mm. is so important yeah. because everything that the story is about happens there. Mm. The climax is just what happens to the story, mm. but what happens to the character who is involved in that story, and then the effects on that character is revealed within I mean, that how denouement. It plays out. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I and I think yeah. that's why I love the ending so much. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Uh, I feel like we've become accustomed to more of a. Um, Uh, a jolt that's it we had a good resolution and we end it and and most and most films and most books Mm. try and wind it down as quickly as possible because we don't want you to lose the sense that the climax is the important bit Mm. and it depends Mm. it depends on where your focus is in the story sometimes some stories do work where uh say crime uh when the killer is revealed and the killer is captured Mm. that's your climax and you want the story to end pretty much after that because if it goes on for another 20 minutes nobody's going to really care about it unless of course the, the, the like wallander for instance it's more character focused than mm. that matters mm. yeah. um with lord of the rings i think that that was crucial and that's something i really enjoyed in the series mm. um there was there was a series that i um picked up and and read uh it's a small it's a small little book called game of uh, a song of ice and fire <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, this was before the the tv show came out so it It was. I'm glad I did read it like that and didn't have the expectation Mm. of the show, Um, because I think they're both pretty good pieces of media uh, separately. I don't think people can compare them too much because you shouldn't. It's an adaptation, not you know Mm. a translation. Um, And and, in the book, for me, there was certain. I think it was the A Dance of Dragons was his last, and I don't think I don't think it's a very good book. I think that he made some critical errors with where the focus was placed on characters. Mm book before that had huge, you know, pages of depictions of food. And I know that's great. Um <laughs> but kind of pair back on that as well, oh, yeah. you know? It and that that's where this the story lagged and the and the and the series sort of slowed down. I'll still keep reading it because yeah. it, I'm I'm interested. Um but yeah, that's the example of, you know, how sometimes a book can let down a, a narrative by getting too bogged down in a particular thing, mm-hmm. a detail or something like that. Yeah. Luke you read any series that, that annoyed you or made you love it for any particular reason? Oh. You mentioned Wheel of Time. I
1: did mention Wheel of Time, but I've already given my rant about <laughs> a true. few times. <laughs> you now, have so done it a
0: few times.
1: I can't do that one again. Oh, just got to picture another series. There's mm. so many of them.
2: Well,
3: maybe uh, just a thought. When I, the, the first series, I suppose, that I wish was a series, was uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia. Mm. Um, that's a great example as well of... of Incredibly well-written uh, characters, because he moves you from mm. character to character, and they don't—the characters don't stay the same the whole time. Mm. And yes, because the world is so consistent, I mean, you got Aslan through the whole thing, you got mm-hmm. other elements, it's so consistent, it kind of brings you along, and he even has a character, you know, in Eustace, who develops from a terrible character, you can't stand, to one that you really like,
2: mm-hmm. and yeah. all of this
3: happens so quickly, and by the time I got to the last book, I couldn't I couldn't put it down. It's so the first book, I remember where I was sitting, reading it, because it was the first book I just could not put down, I read it in a day or something, it was just Yeah, incredible. Well, the last
0: book
1: was definitely the best
0: one. Yeah, The but- Here's a question because I did yeah. want to ask this uh, mm. when we we're talking about a series, and it's it's good you mentioned it as well. The last battle, yep. the the final book in the series, for a lot of people hmm. caught them completely off guard, and they didn't like it oh,
2: really? because it's yeah.
0: very, it's a it's an unusual shift. Uh, mm. It became darker. It became yeah. well, it it the world ended, uh, mm. and you know <laughs> ca- characters died literally, not yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> just metaphorically speaking. <laughs> they actually died, and for a for a book that was aimed at children mm. um and then you know with the adult audience admiring you know the the, the elements that uh, that Lewis wove in throughout the entire thing mm. um what did you think like did that did you find that jarring and like what age were you when you read it that kind of thing
3: I'd be about eight when i wrote mm-hmm. when I read it, and I loved it i yeah. mean I loved everything about it because I think it was so different, and the darkness that he brought into the world it it showed a real um uh, there was a real challenge to the characters and I remember the scenes I remember really well a- a Tash coming along from, yes. the, from the kingdom and yep. he's all evil and crow-like yep. and, mm. and the illustrations of course stick in your mind and as a kid I was like whoa yeah. scared you know um, but that also had, it's similar to um, Tolkien, and I guess they knew each other, yeah. um, that Main had points. a, a yeah. long wind down uh, yeah. after the world's ended and they, they go through um, higher up and deeper in. And that was, I found that so magical. And I was, I think what I loved about it was I was so sad, but I was so happy and it captivated mm. me because mm. I, I experienced, in, in a way, uh, I guess this is good, in a way it took me to an adult place and it placed yeah. an adult emotion where it wasn't just a single kind of understanding of, emotion, but I actually had this complex emotion mm-hmm. of a deep sorrow for what had happened to some of the characters and to the world of Narnia, but at the same time, it was so beautiful yep. that it, it made me happy.
1: Yep. It was peace. It was resolu- like real resolution. In yeah. Order, yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, Incredible resolution. And um, and it wound everything up so well. Mm. And I, I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to to... <laughs> Yeah. Kill your darlings in that way. He yeah. destroyed the world. There was no coming back. It's not like, oh, by the way, it wasn't actually destroyed. Yeah. You know, soz guys. Yeah. There was no eighth book. That was it. It was yeah. done. Mm. And he did it. He he committed. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's really impressive.
0: Yeah. I think uh, there's, there's a specific moment in the last battle where the climax is over. The characters uh, are at that final place. And there's a little story there. There's a little mm. story within that little bit. That's also a, another story, and, and that's, uh, that's part of his denouement because he's talking about a different thing. Mm. Uh, Sirius Lewis and Tolkien, uh, um, to, to a certain extent as well, um, enjoy playing with philosophical and moral elements mm. within their stories and weaving it in. And specifically within The Last Battle, I think that last bit, mm. the, it really hit home. Like, the, the, the point, the theme, everything was just nicely joined. It, it was bookended. You mm-hmm. knew where the world started. You knew where the world ended. And you know what it had yeah. to do with each other. And I think it's... It, yeah, I agree. It's one of the best examples of a series done well. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I actually have complaints about Narnia. Yeah. There you go. Go for it. <laughs> go, yeah. Go. Please, please. I didn't like the constant change of characters.
1: That always mm-hmm. threw me mm-hmm. off as a child. Okay. Yeah. When I first read it... Because you couldn't like, identify with... I wanted to identify with one of them. Yeah. And especially Edmund. Edmund's like the first character I latched onto. Mm. Peter was always too high and mighty. He was all right, but yeah, yeah. he was a bit high and mighty. Mm. But Edmund, I latched onto at the end of the first book. Yep. And in the second book, he was still there. And the th- I think he was there for the third one. He was there for the third one. But then he mm. disappeared. Yeah. And they, it, it didn't explain... Well enough, why he disappeared? Because well, I didn't got care old. how old yeah. he was. I don't he care how old, yeah, old yeah, yeah. he was. I just want to. I want them. him still there yeah. because yeah. he's a character who's developed in a way not just not just because he's a developed character, but also because he's he's wise. You kind of mm. want that person who's wise and interesting yeah. and has been there before mm. to stick around. That was that was my sort of um, plot confusion when I was younger with it.
3: I agree, and I think I felt similar emotions. But in a way, and I'm getting way deep here. Maybe it. Lewis forces you to grow up with him. Yes, he forces you because he knew children were going to read that. He forces you mm-hmm. to go through what's it's painful. It's painful not seeing that character. You're waiting for that character, and then suddenly it's She's it's not, not him. Anymore. It's this brat of a boy in yeah. mm. in the school, and you yep. know they're they he, he's making fun of. Um, oh, there's the two of them, and you know you want it to not be like that. And but Lucy is the connection, and then mm. that's it. And I I guess you you're almost forced into a sense of mourning. Well, now we're deep. mourning several times during the series, yep. and it's it's kind of thrust upon you, and you have to grow, yeah. um, in order to keep going. Mm. So, yeah, but I totally hear what you're saying. I agree. I remember I was like, "Who's this Eustace yeah, character?" Yeah,
0: I, I didn't like him. Yeah, I don't want him. Yeah. Yeah,
1: no, no, yeah, I didn't mind new characters popping in, if that's what you mean. But you
0: wanted no, but you, I wanted, wanted, but you wanted I wanted, wanted, to wanted to the see at connection. Least
1: one or two stable yeah. characters stick around because it, um, for me, it also uh, this is this is off topic because it's not quite to do with the plot anymore. It was also to do with the fact that I. I thought, well, who would grow out of stories? Mm. Who would mm. grow too old for imagination and yeah. stories? And, yeah, true, true. And all these things. It, my parents are reading this to me. You know, yeah. mm. <laughs> they're old people and they're reading it. You yeah?
0: know. Yep. <laughs> the um. So yeah, that the, helped jarred me a lot. The thing that I think I liked about Narnia that I didn't find a lot in books at that time, which is why, you know, I, I tell a lot of people who write young adult fiction, like I never read any of it. You know the mm. Nania was the first and last book that I read and which is considered young adult, <laughs> mm. because to me, I agree with what you said, Ian, I think it makes you grow up because it does a very interesting thing where um, there's a there's a notion, and it's a, it's a true one, because it's proven by analytics sales uh, <laughs> that children love to see a character grow mm. and stay with that character. And see the journey, and see his or her life going through the motions of childhood and adulthood, mm-hmm. and you know all of this stuff. That's why Aragon was successful. It, you know, it was about a central character. It didn't matter about the, the, the story around it, but you could identify with that. The Hunger Games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I story. can still, yeah, 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 yeah the yeah. coming of age story is hugely important. And the reason I loved Narnia so much is he didn't care about that. That was unimportant yeah. to him, <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> the thing that was important to him is the characters are irrelevant. It's mm. the theme. It is yeah. the story that's the most important thing. Yep. And that it taught me at that age, and that's why I ended up miserable, I suppose, but for, for, for my young adult uh, years that I didn't read anything uh, within it, is because I could never find that again. I never mm. found a book that was so destined to push a theme or an idea or a structure within the books mm. that they would be brave enough to be like, well, it doesn't matter if he's your favorite. He's gone, and he won't come back. Hmm. And that was real harsh to me to begin with. Yeah. Like both of you, I did feel it when mm. Edmund specifically left and he didn't come back. I was like, well, I, it's yeah. not as interesting without him. Mm. But it was because mm. it was the story was- around it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, funny, funny that you said it was um, a veering away from coming of age because I thought it was like, Constant coming of age stories You're like Oh it's another one oh, yeah. Another one oh, He's got to grow up Come on just grow up Because in, in some ways It doesn't
0: <laughs> deal with the themes Of the coming of age tale You yeah. see what I mean It deals yeah, with it doesn't the, have the themes But it still pushes the idea Of the coming of age into I like it, the sorry. idea That a character eventually <laughs> Is just not important to the book Because he doesn't mm. push The idea of the story forward I mean in, in and And it sort of got darker as well. The the series yeah. as a whole just got darker as it went on. Silver Chair, for instance, was really messed up for me. Yeah. And I loved it. But yeah. it was odd. Read that to you know, it's six, seven year old now and they would feel weirded out by it as well, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Ian, I cut you off. No,
3: it's all right. I mean in in the end, uh Narnia the character Narnia mm. came of age as well. Yep. And came of age and then passed away. So yeah. I I guess if you're thinking about the setting as being that kind of key, um, yeah. In in that sense, I guess there was a character that we all identify with the whole time because yeah. we followed it from birth mm-hmm. right the way through to death. Yeah. So I I imagine he kind of whether he whether you know Lewis meant to or not, he brought us on that journey, which is beautiful. And for so many children, um, I guess mm-hmm. that was one of their first introductions yep. to a series that they could access
0: and kind of I get agree. into. Yeah. Um, yeah. For for me, it was the idea that. The book died young, just as the characters did, and it's yeah. horrific if you think about it that way, mm. but that impacted me a lot because mm. the happy ending was happy and sad at the same like like you described bittersweet um, mm. and I think that was really good. who could remember that final the, the final and I
3: think the final line always gets me you know they, they realized that they were actually reading a book uh, that was that was so long, you know, and the pages hadn't been written, and what they'd been reading was actually just the first page. Mm. And there was so much left, and that's the beautiful sense of look, you've read this story, but actually. In a sense, there's all this still to go.
0: Yeah, That's, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's a really good moment. Um, so we tangent it off a bit, ladies and gentlemen, from <laughs> series to, to Narnia. But I think it, it's a great example of a series, and a series done really well, uh, in our opinions anyway. Um, but that brings us to the end of the, the episode. Thank you, Ian, for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure to have you. Luke, thank you. You have no choice, but you're here. Thank <laughs> you for that. Um, and thank you, listeners. It's been a good episode. So where can people find you, Ian? Where can, on the internet, your social media links, whatever you got coming up for us? Yeah,
3: yeah. So um, the easiest place to find me, um, ihlaking.com, is my mm-hmm. website. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, I'm on Twitter a lot, so the easiest way to connect with me, I do say hi, I talk back, I follow back, it's good fun, uh, is at ihlaking. Um, so that's the easiest way to kind of connect with me. I am also on Facebook, but uh, at the moment, working on this novel series, so um, I, I regularly post on my website as to how that's going. Uh, so come and join me. I really love to kinda of connect with people and see how they're finding
1: my writing. Yeah, Fantastic. if you stop tweeting, call an ambulance. Yeah. It's yeah, true. <laughs> be concerned. The, be, concerned. <laughs> be very concerned. <laughs> Luke. Uh, you can still find me at thesoulshardchronicles.com dot com. Mm-hmm. Um as I said, I'm working on a, a short story at the moment and I don't need to finish the space one but <laughs> 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 but you know It's coming along. I I I've just got this such a good story that's working on it. Uh-huh. So <laughs> We've heard it yeah, all. Yeah, we get sidetracked by writers. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's very true. Um, or at The Soul Shout on Twitter if she's still looking for me. Fantastic. Hmm. Well, you can find The Morning Bell. Themorningbell.com.au is the website. As always, they're willing to take your submissions. Um, as I mentioned before, it's a very heavy editing process that they are now doing. Whatever age you are, whatever story you have, they're willing to take it and have a look. And if it's good and you're willing to work with them, they'd be happy to put it in the magazine. So. Do submit. It's always open, and they're looking for new writers. Um, the next episode of The Discomfort Zone is coming out on Monday, hopefully. Uh, well, not this coming Mo- uh, Never mind. It's a date. You'll figure it out. It'll be out in the iTunes link, and you can see it there. And the topic for that Discomfort Zone is the movie Black Death, uh, which is a bit interesting. Uh, it was my recommendation to the other two hosts, Lucas and Kezia, and we'll see how they handle that movie. Thank you very much for listening. You can find me, uh, thepenofjoel.com, and at thepenofjoel on Twitter, where I Twitter about nothing other than this podcast, because I'm unimaginative. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.